the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Uh, guests, uh, this is a safe place to be a new person, a newbie to the Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, uh, all you got to do is grab a device and, and Google or whatever, Bing, whatever, uh, John 1. And if you do the initials ESV, the, the ESV is an English Standard Version, you'll be looking at the text that I'm reading. You're going to want to see it for yourself. I'll do all the rest. Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 35. The translator heading above reads, Jesus calls the first disciples. Jesus calls the first disciples. We are continuing our new study. Last week the story began after tackling the introduction. John the Apostle opens his telling of the greatest story ever told. And it's like a wide angle shot that then, then the, on the banks of the Jordan, camera focuses in on a, a crowd. And at the center of the crowd is this one and only John the Baptist baptizing. It's day one. Day one, the religious leaders in Jerusalem come to question him. Who are you, John the Baptist? To, to which the Baptist replies, I am the voice, prophetic. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Day two, we read last week. Same place, same scene. John the Baptist sees Jesus. And the people among the people, and, and he shouts out so all can hear, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one, John the Baptist professes Jesus. Day three. Day three this morning. Look with me, beginning in verse 35. I'll read to the end of the chapter and then pray. Follow along, verse 35. The next day, the next day, day three, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Andrew says, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 43, the next day, day four, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Philip said to him, come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel, verse 50. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The very words of God, would you pray with me for understanding, Father? Father, how exciting it is to read these words and with your help to comprehend what is going on in this scene. Father, I pray you would send your spirit so that we would see with the eyes of our hearts that we might not only perceive who it is that is at the center of the story, but also we would receive this one and treasure him and desire him and follow him. Father, I pray simply you would make more disciples this morning. Make more disciples this morning. Strengthen those that follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, this last week, something happened to me that hadn't happened to me since 1997. Some of you weren't even born then. 1997. Jury duty. Mm, look at that. <laughs> Jury duty. And I know what you're thinking. You could beat this. <laughs> you can beat this. You can get out of it, out of jury duty. And I want you to know I tried. Oh, I tried to get out of jury duty. Um, you can imagine I'm a pastor <laughs> in California. I'm trying. And get this, even more so, just a little over a week ago, uh, uh, at, at the end of my small group meeting, the group that my wife and I and my family attend, the small group meeting a couple weeks ago, after the meeting, one of the members of my small group, Matt Martinez, uh, he, who's not here today, he, he, he was calling in, he was sitting, I broke away from the group, he was calling in for jury duty. And I was like, no way, I have jury duty too. Turns out, and what are the odds? I was juror or potent, potent, whatever, uh, potential juror 5,037, and Matt was 5,038. <laughs> but still, <laughs> this couldn't be the providence of God, right? <laughs> So there we are this week. This, this week, I think it was Wednesday morning, two friends sitting in the jury pool uh, down at the county courthouse in Santa Ana. Matt brought me a coffee. He was late. I was paying attention, of course, to everything that was going on. People are staring at us. We're high-fiving, fist-bumping, making fun of stuff, whatever. How do these two guys know each other? We were sure if we played it up and we acted like we knew each other, that alone would disqualify us. So you got someone else in the room that you know. And I told Matt that this was probably, we sat there and said, this is probably the only time we're going to see each other in the courthouse where one of us isn't a defendant <laughs> right well we both then got called up to the same case on the 11th floor 
And, I'm, and I, I was ready. Listen, I was ready to plead undue burden, <laughs> to get out of jury duty. Though I, I commend to you jury duty, I was trying to get out of jury duty. I was leading, I, I said, I'm leading a conference. I am. I'm leading a conference in a couple weeks that has 60-some pastors and their wives coming to Irvine, California for a conference later this month during when the trial would be held. They're coming from all over the United States, and if I get selected to be a juror, this will be a disaster. It will be a disaster, a complete disaster, but nope, nope. The judge, judge said that being important at work, and I was like, yeah? <laughs> being important at work is not a valid excuse. It doesn't matter if you're employer needs you that's your employer's undue burden not mine however my partner in crime fellow potential juror matt and he's not here to defend himself so i'm going to tell it from my perspective matt oh this this hurts me deep in my soul matt and chanel his wife and their family have planned a vacation to Hawaii <laughs> later this month, in January. That was Matt's excuse. I'm going to Hawaii. And he beat it. <laughs> he got out. <laughs> he got out. Matt was excused, which, which leads me to point number one of my sermon this morning. Pay attention if you're taking notes. If you receive a jury notice, don't dilly-dally around. Buy tickets to Hawaii immediately. <laughs> okay? Oh, you'll thank me later. No, I'm kind of kidding. <laughs> but you know I'm watching now. My point, listen, listen, my point telling you all this, other than make fun of Matt, who got out because he's going to Hawaii, <laughs> is that you never know when you're going to get called up. It's 1997, 2024, the, the worst month ever to be called to jury duty. You never know when you're going to get called up and you really won't be something you're planning for or that you expected or even that you completely understand at the moment what, what, what's going on. I'm not sure yet if I'll, if I'll serve jury duty on this trial, and, and I don't want to. Did I make that clear? I don't want to serve as a juror on this trial. I'm going to find out on Tuesday. It's taking a long time to figure this one out because, listen to this, Matt, after packing, he left the courtroom in the middle of the day to pack up his swimsuit and get ready for Hawaii. The judge explained to those that didn't have an excuse that this was a very, very, very serious case that had national media attention. I can't talk about it, but I can preach about it. He didn't say anything about preaching. He just said, don't tell anyone. <laughs> Not that anybody out here is listening to my sermons anyways. I'm just saying, it had national media coverage and that it wasn't going to be easy on the jury. And the judge said, we're not looking for volunteers. We're not looking for volunteers. This is a draft like in a war, and I'm going to be a draft judge, or I'm going to Canada. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Listen, our passage, in a similar way, is, is like this. <laughs> it's such a rare, rare moment in, in, in the text. There's just a couple moments like this in the text, a precious moment, and you, and you can't move through it. Listen, we can't move through it too slowly. We can take our time. There's so much in here to experience and to take in, and it is serious. It's very serious, much, much more serious at that moment 
live and in real time for those that are in our text here than perhaps any of them understood. Nobody got it completely, what, what was going on. It's as if they'd almost stumbled. <laughs> Maybe John the Baptist, the rest of them just kind of stumbled. Even John the Baptist, he just says, I, I saw Jesus walking by. It's almost as if they stumbled up on the events that transpire here on the third and fourth day, not really looking for what happens. They weren't looking for what happens. It was more like their number had just come up. 5,037, 5,038. And they were drafted. Before us is the eyewitness account of the calling of you. You could say in, in, in some ways, the first four. The first four. One might even argue, I'll show you in a second. The first five Christians. The first four or five Christians, disciples, they were students, they were followers of Jesus, different ways to say the same thing. All of them identified later to be members of the 12 apostles, but ultimately, fundamentally, at the bottom of it all, they are first and foremost Christians. And the, 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 that's the first observation this morning of our text. Nothing has changed in the system. 2,000 years later, Jesus is doing the same thing First observation, he asks a question. What do you want? Look with me. Again, verse 35. What? What are you seeking? What do you want? Verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. It's so curious, isn't it? It, it, it almost seems like another ordinary day. Just another day down by the Jordan, whatever it is, year 30-something, and how often does Jesus just walk about and nobody knew who he was? Mm. John the Baptist picks him out in the crowd. He's probably seen him before. Behold the Lamb of God, verse 37. The two disciples heard him and say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, and keep in mind here, if you keep in score, this will be the first words John records of Jesus speaking. Here they are in his telling of the story, the first words of Jesus. What are you seeking? What, what do you say? What do you want? What do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? <laughs> now, again, now, again, they don't seem prepared for what's really going on here. We're all like, what do you, what, where is he staying? What, down at the Marriott? Where, where are you staying? The odd request, where are you staying? But it was enough. These two men were intrigued. Right? They had been following John the Baptist, listening to him preach, listen, being baptized by him, learning from him, devoted to him, devoted to him as their teacher. They were disciples of John the Baptist, and he's going to keep some. You're going to see later in the Gospel, John, he's, he's still sending them off, asking questions. Is this the Christ? But John the Baptist, they stick with him, these two here, they stick with him until he identifies the one he has been pointing to them all, all along. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I would be remiss. There's just so much in this text. How many, how many different ways, different titles are used 
to identify Jesus in these verses, right? There's more titles right here in our passage than there are verses. Just listen. You don't have to look at it. Look at it later. Just comb the text. He's the Lamb of God. He's the teacher. This is all just in our little text. He's the Lamb of God. He's the teacher. He's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. He is the house of the Lord. He is the Son of Man. What do we got? Seven verses? Eight titles? It's a bit overwhelming, and you're going to see in a moment, that's the point. That's the point. He's piling them on. Everything is building towards something. A statement, a final statement, a final statement about who Jesus is. But first, before I get there, first again, Jesus asks a question. As if, as he is, and he is still asking this question. And it's a fundamental question that you and I, every person must answer. You must answer this question. Even if you think you're not answering this question, you're avoiding this question, you've already answered the question. The first thing John records, Jesus is saying, what do you want? Wow. What do you want? I love C.S. Lewis. You know who C.S. Lewis. He famously wrote, he feels a little bit cynical. That's kind of why I like it. It's got a little grit to it. This is what he says. We want, in fact, this is what he wrote, not so much a father in heaven. <laughs> as a grandfather in heaven. He says, a senile benevolence, <laughs> who, as they say, like to see the young people enjoying themselves, <laughs> and whose plan for the universe, this is what we want, a, the plan for the universe is a senile benevolent grandfather, and I'm headed in that direction, right? <laughs> whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. <laughs> it's sad but true. I think most people just want a good time. Yeah? Or a nice house. Or a fulfilling job. Or a nice car. Or, or, or people not in the way of my car as I drive to work. Or a trip with Matt to Hawaii. <laughs> And when you listen to this, Matt, we all would like to go with you. <laughs> we all want friends. Why? Because we want to help somebody, serve somebody, love No! We want a good time. Good time had by all every day. Seven days a week, 24-7. I want people to like me. You, you got to answer that question. You, you need to answer that question. You've already answered the question. Figure out what your answer to the question is. What do I want? Second observation of the scene, we're now, now we're into it with Jesus calling his first disciples. It's an invitation. He asks, what do you want? Again, nothing new. Jesus is still offering this today. He's been doing the same thing for 2,000 years. He's got one shtick. Here it is. As he did since day three, come and see. Jesus says, it's an invitation. Come and see. Look with me again. Verse 39 and following. Jesus said to them, come and you will see. What do you want? You want to know where you live? Okay. Come and they don't really know what they're asking for. You will see. So they came, at, John writes, middle of verse 39, so they came and saw where he was staying. Wow. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, which is if we translate, this is the Jewish keeping of time, but we translate this clock into our clock, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Everyone's getting off of work. It's the end of the day. It's 4 p.m., verse 40. 
One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And if I could just interject for a second here, because this is a little bit speculative, but it's kind of fun. Here, we just got the first one, right? We got the one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, but who's the other one? We're not going to get the name, and I'll tell you why. I think, the, most people think, this is probably John the Apostle who writes the text. He's pretty humble, and you're going to find that he's always kind of slipping himself in without actually using his name. Is this the first four, according to John, or is this the first five? You be the judge. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, this is what he does right away, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and gave him a nickname. He said, you are son, Simon, the son of John, you shall be called. He names him here. He declares authority on him. He, 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 he you might say, indicates his future. You're called Cephas. You, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. We'll find that later in the gospel. Come and see. Come and see. That's the invitation. That's his invitation. And it's our invitation. As Christians, as followers of Christ, as disciples, as a church, this is what we do. Come and see. Not come and enjoy some of our programs and be served in various ways and have your needs met. Come, come and have all your needs met. Come and, come and have a, enjoy, join our happy fraternity, our sweet sorority. No. Come and see Jesus. Verse 43, it continues. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. A very similar invitation. Follow me. Come and see. And a, and a great definition for what it means to be a Christian. Verse 44. Keep reading. Verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph and Nathaniel, being a Californian, said to him, can anything good come from any of the other states? Right? <laughs> and what does Philip say to him? Come and see. We're just, like, we're just like a couple hours into it. And what are the disciples telling other people? Come and see. No arguments. <laughs> if, that, if you replace that with whatever, whatever state you want to, I'll, I'll pick on one. Arizona. Could any good come from Arizona? Here, let me give you a list of 10 reasons. No, I'm joking. But uh, you could give a list. There's no arguments. There's no debating Nathaniel here. There's no apologetics. Not that there isn't a time to defend the faith, but there's no compromise. No like, well, you're kind of right. There isn't anything that comes from <laughs> Nazareth. No, no compromise. you got doubts. You got questions? Let me say this loud and clear. As one individual, as a church, your questions aren't due to, and your doubts aren't due to, a, a lack of information as if you only you had more time and you could study this a little more, get a little more information, maybe get access to a, a, a little more evidence or, or feel a certain way. I've been reading, I've been studying, I'm hearing this invitation, but perhaps I just need to feel it first. And feel ready to accept this invitation 
to come and say no. No, Philip, all of them begin to say immediately, you have to see for yourself. I can't tell you about them. Ultimately. You have to see for yourself. Them with their own eyes, now with the eyes of our hearts, we must look and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Nothing. That's so curious here. Second observation. Nothing's changed. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. We're doing the same thing Philip does with Nathaniel, verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. Whereas the psalmist invites us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Everything else, this is our testimony. Listen, this is the testimony of everyone who has followed Christ ever since. Now, even today, joining with the countless men and women who have lived and answered the question, what do I want with anything? Answering the question, anything other than what I have already tried. I've tried it all. That's our testimony. We tried it all. I've seen it all. I've consumed it all. I've bought it all on Amazon and returned it twice. I've seen it all enough, even, or at least enough to know that none of it is what I really want. All empty cisterns. In the end, all of it, don't kid yourself. The invitation is unlike any other invitation. There's no paywall, (laughs) no secret list of five to-dos that will make you happy or a recipe for a simpler way of life. No way to win friends, influence people, and become a, you know, tycoon. Just an invitation to see a person. Not even us. Walk around Old Town Orange and say, come and see Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. And offer a personal invitation. Come and see. What, what do you want? Come and see this. Observation number three, last observation, best for last. This is where the entire chapter, the first first chapter of the gospel according to John has been building towards. I can't overemphasize this, at least since the narrative began. And it's easy to miss. Oh, it's so easy to miss for us, especially because we're not as well, maybe say, educated and studied and familiar with the Bible, and in particular the Old Testament. You, we, we, we're going to be tempted to just gloss over it, go, oh, that's a nice thought. That sounds pretty. But look, look at verse 40. What do you want? Come and see. And now the big reveal. Let me, let me just let you figure it out on your own. Watch. Verse 47. Behold. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael come toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. This is an amazing magic trick, is it not? Right? 48. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answers, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And oh dear, there is so much there. But just on the surface, Nathanael picks up enough. My number's been called. Rabbi. You are the Son of God. 
You are the king of Israel, the one they've been waiting for. And here's where Jesus finally says who he thinks he is. Verse 50. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And here it is. Verse 51. An entire chapter chock full of titles and labels about Jesus 2030. I've lost count. It all builds and culminates in Jesus' testimony about himself. And he said to him, verse 51, said to all of us, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. What do you, what do you want? Where, do you, where are you staying? <laughs> you will see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Je Jesus says, what everyone else has been saying, but for now for the first time, he says it about himself. It's the climax of this entire chapter, it, which prepares us. Now listen, this prepares us for everything that comes next. It's built right into there. You're going to see greater things than this, Nathaniel. And, and his answer, he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, oh, we don't want to go, go too fast, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, you and I. Listen, you might not know the context, but trust me when I say that Nathaniel and everyone else who was present and could hear what Jesus was saying knew exactly what Jesus was saying. No mistaking it. No misunderstandings. He's referring to an event other than the life of Jacob. An Old Testament father, a patriarch. In Genesis 28, if you know your Bibles, Jacob is traveling and he stops in Bethel, falls asleep, and has a dream. Now listen, you don't need to turn there, but I want you to enjoy it. Listen, Jacob, uh, Jacob's ladder, Genesis 28. This is what Jesus is drawing from. Here's how he identifies himself. If you know this story and you haven't connected the dots, here it comes and it's just going to sparkle. Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And Jacob dreamed. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. And he says, behold, I am with you. And will keep you, the Lord says to Jacob, wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, the promised land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Listen, before I read that last one, it's a, this, is a, this 
just like these other guys, his number came up. He wasn't expecting it. He might have even been trying to get out of it. I think a rock for a pillow probably means, you know, at least he wasn't happy with the accommodations of where he was staying. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. No mistake. No misunderstanding. What John the Apostle had said about Jesus earlier in the chapter, that Jesus is the pre-existent word of God, full of glory and grace like we had never seen before. And John the Baptist kept saying over and over again, pointing him out in the crowd, saying, behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everybody else begins to call him by every title that they could pull up in their Rolodex as they plowed through their Bibles and all the Scripture they had memorized. Everything they could see to call Jesus, they called him the promised one, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, Israel itself, Jesus now says himself, I am Jacob's ladder. I am Jacob's ladder. I am the decisive, final link between heaven and earth. I'm the ladder. I'm the link between heaven and earth, between God and humanity. I'm the mediator between heaven and earth on whom angels must come and go. All of God's activity here in this world, all on me. What Jacob, just what Jesus is saying, what Jacob dreamed about is now being fulfilled in your midst. Jesus says, I am the revelation of God to mankind. That's Jacob's ladder. I am where you go. This is what Jesus is saying. Messiah, yeah. Christ, yeah. Word, yes. Light of the world, yes. Life, yes. Fulfillment of all the promises, yes. I am where you go to find God. I am. There's going to be lots of I am's in the Gospel of John. I am where anyone will go. And the only place to go, the way to find and to know God. <laughs> and as Jacob wakes up to the dream, a little bit afraid, but a little bit amazed, kicks his rock pillow away. He says, this, this, is, this is the house of God. This place. Jesus is saying, I'm not only the ladder. I am this Bethel. God's house has been, his tent has been pitched. 
earlier in the chapter, among us. And the revelation of God, I am God himself. There is nowhere else you can go. When Jesus says that he, they will see heaven opened, he's using the language of revelation. <laughs> he's telling his disciples that they will receive divine knowledge, you might say, confirmation in what they're about to see and the hear in the course of his earthly life. If you come and you see, you're going to see greater things than me just knowing your name and where you were before you arrived. What a promise. Listen, if you've been sticking around, if you've been following us, here's an advertisement for you. What a promise over the next year as we go in and out of the Gospel of John and study this book line by line, chapter by chapter, moment by moment. What a promise that those who continue to read this book will see greater things than chapter 1. So the invitation, right at the start again. Come and see. Follow him. Leave everything. Potentially leave everyone. And behold the substitute of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen, what's coming next is the story of how God puts in motion in the final days his plan to reconcile and redeem and to gather up a new people for him you haven't seen anything yet nathaniel pa paul actually if you want to say something echoes what we just read there paul echoes this in chapter one of first corinthians listen you don't need to turn there but he says he he speaking of jesus is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation there it is john chapter one for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him the gospel of john chapter one listen he picks up later in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, this is what we're going to read. This is what we proclaim. This is what we believe. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on heaven or in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Come and see. That's the invitation. Come and see. He's going to make peace between God and man through the blood shed on his cross. If you're a Christian and you're wondering, so, okay, what does this have to do with me? Listen, on your weakest, darkest, ugliest, <clears throat> embarrassing, angriest, worst days, same question. What do you want? And then come and see. And if you're a bystander this morning and you're here with us and you're watching and I'm yelling and I'm teaching you how to get out of jury duty, same questions over and over again. 
spoiler alert, every week, come and see the one who knows everything about you, knew you before you, before you spotted him. He's calling your number and asking you to ask yourself, what do you really want? Come and behold. Give him yourself. It's all you really got. Lay down your preferences, your dreams, all the little things that you think you want and your hope for a senile, benevolent grandfather who ends every day saying, wasn't that a great day? And instead have him, the firstborn of all creation. in which you exist to bring glory. And as you bring him glory, you are satisfied. Would you pray with me? Father, Father, we, we end this meeting where we began hoping and trusting and looking and beholding you and your son, Jesus. Lord, give our hearts and our minds one more look at him as we close Father, I pray for the one who is beat down and discouraged and struggling and regretting what happened last night and worried about tomorrow. Would you give them another sight of your son and his majesty that he is the king and that he holds the whole world in his hand and continues again and again to invite, come and see, follow me. And for the one, the one still holding on, Maybe waiting to feel ready. There is no ready. Father, would you, would you turn and change their heart that they would turn and change and trust Christ. It's in his name that we do all these things and pray. Amen.